Hello there and welcome to the Lancet HIV podcast for the September issue. Today I'm talking to Beatrice Grinstein from the Evandro Chagas National Institute of Infectious Diseases, Fia Cruz, in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. I'm going to be talking to Beatrice about the study third-line antiretroviral therapy in low-income and middle-income countries, which was published recently online and is included in the September issue of the Lancet HIV. Beatrice is one of the researchers behind the study and an author on the paper. Hi there, Beatrice. Hi, Peter. Thanks so much for the opportunity to talk about ACTG 5288. Thank you so much for joining us today. So your study is of strategies for treatment of people in whom second-line therapy appears to be failing. Could you start by telling us a little bit about the global situation of people on treatment, how many are on second-line therapy, and how common is failure of second-line therapy? As a result of the remarkable increase in ART access, the number of individuals on second-line ART therapy in resource-limited settings is rapidly expanding. At the end of 2017, from an estimated almost 22 million people with HIV who had been prescribed ART, 6% were receiving second-line therapy, and this proportion varies widely across the regions of the world. What is the typical response uh, by clinicians when they're faced with patients for whom first or second line therapy seems to be failing? We first query about adherence, hopefully in a non-judgmental way. We ask about drug-drug interactions, drugs that patients may be using that without knowing may have drug interactions, for example, like antiacids or alternative medications. If they are taking appropriately their medications with food or without, depending on the, on the regimen, if they say it's related on adherence, we first implement interventions either directly by clinicians or counselor staff. In many places, this can be punitive, like going back to basic HIV self-care talks, and then patients may consider demeaning and may not address their individual needs. For others, it may be useful. It's hard to predict who it will work in. Once they fail second line, a higher level of intervention is likely needed, such as involving their social supports in a constructive way. Unfortunately, trials of uh, including social supports to improve adherence have not often, uh, had often had uh, negative results because Either the social support is just a stand-in, not a true support, or doesn't have the skills, time, and desire to help. In regards to the rate of response after failing first line and after second line, response rates drop with each subsequent regimen, likely because it means that the barriers are less surmountable. In your study that's recently published in The Lancet HIV, uh, you've investigated several different management options for people with failing second-line therapy. Could you explain the rationale behind the different approaches that you've investigated? So people who are unsuccessful with second-line antiretroviral therapy, they have a diverse amount of resistance to HIV drugs. This means that the most appropriate treatment for a specific person failing second-line ART varies. So using an algorithmic approach, we assigned study participants to one of four types of regimens based upon their individual drug resistance pattern, as well as their prior experience with antiretroviral drugs. Mm -hmm. and, and what were those four different approaches? 
So these four different approaches were related to their uh, resistance profile. Okay, so we had four cohorts, cohorts that were uh, created based on the resistance profile that these individuals had. For instance, cohort A, these individuals didn't have resistance to booster lopinavir and were susceptible to at least one NRTI. This was uh, the cohort for people who didn't have major resistance to the second line therapy they were using. The three other cohorts were variations uh, with regard of the pattern of resistance, but all of them, these individuals in cohorts B, C, and D, had resistance to lopinavir. That was the basis of second-line therapy. So we basically see people who were not doing well, of course, all of them, none of them were doing well, but cohort A were of those people with the least resistance. And then what would you say were the, were the main, most important findings from your study? So uh, we showed that people with uh, HIV in low and middle uh, income countries across the world whose second line treatment was failing had very diverse resistance patterns and that it's possible to perform real-time resistance testing to optimize their treatment. More than half of uh, participants Without lopinavir resistance, those that I mentioned on cohort A, uh, more frequently used second-line protease inhibitors in the study population, who therefore remained on their second-line ART, did not achieve sustained viral suppression. This group requires additional strategies for achieving sustained viral suppression. Targeted real-time genotyping for selected-line ART regimens can effectively allocate the most costly ARVs to those with greater drug resistance, that are the cohorts B, C, and D. Also, antiretrovirals, uh, reg antiretroviral regimens containing boosted darunavir and rautegravir with or without etravirin were highly effective for those participants presenting for third line with lopinavir resistance that are those from cohorts B, C, and D that I mentioned before. Okay, so I think from reading the study and from talking about it just now, it seems like quite a complex piece of work. You've got multiple different groups, you've got different strategies um, to deal with a second line treatment failure, and it's also been done over several continents, hasn't it? So. Why was this design necessary and what would you say were the advantages of this seemingly complicated investigation? Yeah, this is a great question. So first of all, it's very important to say that we, our team has an amazing support from the ACTG Statistical and Data Analysis Center at the Harvard School of Public Health. So Michael Hughes was, is our senior statistician and uh, he, uh, he was the man behind the design mostly. And so the design is seemingly complex, but when you break it down into its three main components, it was a highly efficient approach for addressing multiple important clinical questions. So the key was that we wanted to show that we could enroll the overall population of people living with HIV who were failing on second-line regimen in all these countries. So they were failing uh, without excluding people from this population. So all of those who were failing 
could be placed in one of these cohorts that I explained. And this was done using genotyping and the drugs that were at that time novel to achieve a high uh, treatment success rate in this overall population. The core design is an umbrella design that is actually very nicely described in the picture in the commentary that came along with our paper. Uh, it's a highly novel design. It was a highly novel design at, at the time that the study was designed and possibly the first use of such a design in the HIV setting. This design involves taking the overall population of people living with HIV on a failing second line regimen and dividing them into groups, cohorts, based on their resistance pattern and history of prior ARVs used and targeting different treatment regimens to each group according to their resistance pattern. This is a very efficient uh, design in allowing study, the study of multiple regimens according to the genotype profile in a single trial and also reflects uh, the clinical practice. For example, the need to adapt regimens according to uh, the resistance pattern. Using this design, we were able to evaluate treatment success rates in each of the groups. In one group, cohort B, we were especially uncertain about whether it was good to continue to use NRTIs in this treatment regimen or whether it would be better to use a regimen involving only novel drugs, darunavir, rautegravir, and etravirin. Hence, we then randomized participants in these cohorts to the two regimens to provide some preliminary information about the comparative success rates of the two regimens, with NUCs or without NUCs. Again, uh, this increases the information coming from the trial and helps addressing an important clinical question. And finally, recognizing that adherence challenges may be a major factor in determining outcomes in this population, we layered a randomization of a cell phone-based adherence support intervention in addition to standard of care support versus standard of care support to evaluate whether outcomes could be improved by this additional adherence support intervention. This enabled us to ask another clinically important question within the same trial, again, making uh, efficient use of limited resources. So this uh, nested randomized uh, study that I just mentioned, it was uh, published in Lancet Digital Health uh, quite simultaneously with our paper. Following your investigations and sort of knowledge of clinical practice and what happens in the world, could you please sum up what recommendations should be for patients in whom second-line treatment is failing? So we suggest that they should be counseled about adherence. That's a really, really a main issue. So we had an unexpected high proportion of individuals failing without any uh, major resistance to lopinavir. So we found that uh, adherence is indeed a major uh, issue for second, in second-line failures. And uh, so we counseled about adherence and evaluate uh, to understand why their treatment is failing. So conversation is very important at this moment. We also suggest that resistance testing can be used to choose a third-line regimen that is appropriate for them. So as you mentioned earlier, sort of there's been tremendous success in scaling up treatments and in giving more and more people access to antiretroviral therapy. 
and obviously there are ambitious targets for further scale up to get more people on treatment as really one of the keystone components of the global fight against HIV. With this and with more and more people on antiretroviral therapies around the world, is treatment failure inevitable? And then alongside that, are there ways that clinicians, patients and, and others can prolong the effectiveness of each line of treatment? Not at all. Treatment failure is not inevitable. Regimens that are well tolerated without side effects or with less side effects taken reliably and don't, uh, don't have that which don't have bad interactions with other drugs may be successful for decades. So simpler and better tolerated second-line regimens are critical. And the current WHO guidelines recommend as preferred second-line regimen for individuals failing an efavirenz or an evirapine regimen to be based on dolutegravir that is uh, significantly better tolerated than uh, lopinavir and uh, that, that was the basis of second-line therapy. So we expect that these better-tolerated regimens will bring uh, better levels of adherence, make it, making therapy more feasible and, and sustainable. Thank you so much once again for joining me today, Beatriz. It's been great to speak to you and to get a little bit more insight into the study. It was a pleasure to talk to you, Peter.